Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do events at the sites of all these recent tragedies mean that these areas will be seriously haunted? What is the significance of black helicopters? What are orbs? Well, good evening, and welcome to the 415th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am not Ben, I am Paul. Ben has been in Boston all day for orientation at his new college, and will be a little late this evening. However, we have an asked a number of diverse questions that reflect the emails that we've received this evening, because our guest, Niels Hobbs of the University of Rhode Island, had to reschedule for next month. So instead, we will dive right into some more thoughtful and interesting emails we've received recently. But first, our weekly uh, excuse, excuse me, <clears throat> our weekly contest question. Ben usually does this. Uh, last week's question was: In what town and U.S. state would you find the alleged ghost of John Stetson? Well, Donna Fantoni of right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, nailed that one, and the answer was Waynesville, Ohio. And there's, there's kind of an interesting backstory to this. Uh, John B. Stetson, a native of New Jersey, lived with his sister in a cute little house in Waynesville in the 1850s. The house on South Main Street later became an antique shop and has allegedly become the most haunted house in the most haunted town in Ohio. Today it's a museum. Well, among the supposed ghosts is Stetson himself, who in 1865 went to Colorado to pan for gold. In the process, you guessed it, he designed a pretty cool hat for himself and ended up starting the Stetson Hat Company, the largest hat manufacturer in the world. I believe it is to this day. Mr. Stetson died in 1906, I believe in Texas, but uh, I always wonder why would he have returned to Waynesville after that is beyond me. So if the stories aren't just for the tourists, I'd say we're dealing more with the usual time slips and other multiverse phenomena rather than spooks, sort of thing we always talk about on this show. Anyway, this week's question is, in what town in New Jersey was a Bigfoot sighting reported in November 2010? That's in what town in New Jersey was a Bigfoot sighting reported in November 2010? Get that right and win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic, my uh, most popular popular book, uh, I suppose, I guess, so I'm told anyway, so the sales say. Anyway, here we go. All right. Uh, this aside, no assistant tonight. <clears throat> okay, our first one here. This has to do with orbs, and it's from Irene A. in Lansing, Michigan. And it says, Hi, Paul and Ben. I have lived in this house for about six months. I live here with my husband and stepson. It has been quiet for all this time until last week when we started seeing orbs in pictures we took. Then we started seeing them with our own eyes. They will follow us around in our different colors. They come around mostly at night. Does this mean we have spirits in the house or a haunted house? What are these things? All right, well, what's interesting is that these orbs are generally thought of as, quote, they're even referred to as spirit orbs, things of this kind, and they are commonly thought of as being related to paranormal phenomena and particularly to ghosts. But the fact is that we don't really know what these things are. I have seen them with my own eyes in different places. I'm thinking of one particular cemetery in New Hampshire, uh, that has is full of the things at certain times. I've seen them turn different colors. Uh, they've followed me around. They act in a semi-intelligent manner. Uh, but then again, so does ball lightning. 
I tend to think that they are, for a number of reasons, living creatures and, and that are based on plasma rather than carbon. And that's a funny thing. We are based on carbon, our bodies, but it, people of the, of the ilk of Carl Sagan, who was a distinguished scientist and the author and this sort of thing, who uh, I guess if, I think it was the Cosmos series in the the 80s or the 90s that he, he uh, produced and uh, starred in, which was a way to explain science to the popular folks. And he, he even believed in the possibility of life forms that were based on plasma rather than carbon. What is plasma? Well, plasma is just electrified air molecules. And what are the and, and what are the boundaries between these parallel worlds we're, all, we're always talking about on this show? They essentially seem to be, at least in photographs and in our experience, they seem to be electromagnetic boundaries. Electromagnetism is kind of what holds the universe together, or the multiverse in this case. Our, our bodies uh, function with it, and it, it, it seems to be uh, very, very essential to the existence of, of the universe. So uh, all these things considered, I think this might be what, the beginning to uh, an explanation of what orbs might be. Orbs, uh, interestingly enough, started really appearing in photographs. Uh, they, they were in photographs before, but particularly when digital photography came along. And uh, I remember back 30 and 40 years ago when I was taking pictures with the old Kodak Instamatic camera, and we actually had to use film in cameras instead of just these little memory cards. The orbs were not very evident, at least not in photographs that I took or saw. There were large balls of light at times, but they seemed very bright, almost like stars. And, of course, you wonder if the change in the mode of photography didn't have something to do with this phenomenon. Well, actually, when you look at it, digital cameras, such as we have in our cell phones and that we carry around in our pockets very easily, are subject to interpreting what they see. In other words, there's a little computer in them that will interpret what it sees. So if there's a, a dust particle or a snowflake, and I've actually seen this happen, it will very often turn the thing into what looks like a, an orb, commonly known as a spirit orb. Now, a lot of people who are involved in this field today uh, were not probably too familiar, maybe haven't been involved very long and weren't too familiar with the old methods of photography. So as a result, uh, this is all they know. So orbs are seemingly everywhere all, you know, in, in these photographs and very often in places where people consider the thing haunted. So I would say, Irene, that if nothing else is going on and you just have these orbs, there are a number of explanations for that. One is that you do live in an, our explanation might be that you do live in an area that is uh, perhaps a boundary area or what, what the Native Americans would call a thin place where the boundaries between the worlds are very thin and you do see things that maybe feed around those boundaries and that might, might be how these things get their sustenance. Uh, they, uh, on the, that being said, I have encountered situations. One of them is on the cover of the book we're giving away this week and that's where, where there are orbs with, that really do look as though they have faces in them, sometimes human faces, sometimes not. So what that is, um, I really am not entirely sure. There have been such things in so-called haunted houses that we've encountered. So it certainly has something to do with the paranormal, uh, exactly what we, we just don't uh, don't know. So uh, I would say uh, if, there's, if this is all there is to it, I don't think you have much to worry about. I would say keep us posted, Irene, on this, and uh, we will certainly uh, be willing to... Uh, give you any further advice but if that's all there is to it and of course people never tell you any, everything in this field then i would say that uh, you probably just ought to keep an eye on it 
right, here's another question. This is uh, a question about consciousness, and it's from Ginny K. in Auburn, Massachusetts. Uh, many of your shows get into what consciousness is, and it seems bigger to you than it does to most people. All right, I'll take that as a compliment. I have even heard you talk about superconsciousness. Can you give a short definition of consciousness and how it worked with the paranormal? Ginny, you must be a teacher. That's the kind of questions I used to get in class. All right, definition of consciousness. Consciousness essentially is the awareness that you are aware, knowing that you know. That That is the, the popular definition of it. But that implies a certain amount of individuality to consciousness, whereas the more that physicists look into consciousness, the more they are seeing, most of them anyway, the ones I've talked to, that consciousness is more than just something that's inside us. It seems to be something that they call non-local. In other words, it's it, it's it's outside of us. Uh, there is even some evidence, and, and I've, we've seen this in paranormal work, that even our imaginations, our memories, pretty much everything that we know is really not lodged in our brain somewhere. I mean, try as they might, they always think that they, they maybe have an answer to where memory is in the brain or where imagination is, and they'll even point to areas, but it really has not been pinned down. And even if there is such a thing in there, that then it seems to be connected with everyone else. And the reason it's connected is why? Well, good old nature, it's a survival mechanism. As I've often said, if we didn't have a sense that the saber-toothed cat was leering at us from the a rock ledge above our heads, uh, you know, thinking about lunch, uh, we would never have survived as a species. The feeling of being watched, the, even the what is commonly known as ESP or telepathy or knowing that something's wrong with someone you love, that's all. that all seems to be part of us as a survival mechanism. It's not spooky. It's not supernatural. It's just part of us, and it indicates that consciousness is outside of us and is connected with all other expressions of consciousness, if that's what we can call ourselves. So I, that's what I, that's not a short definition, but awareness that we're aware, and, and the aware the, the definition of awareness being much bigger than just ourselves. I would say that, Ginny, uh, might be uh, an example of what what you mean, I guess. So yes, it is bigger to us than it is to most people. Um, super consciousness, uh, of course, that that uh, that's a Freudian term as well. Sigmund Freud used uh, it was the, the sort of actually super ego he called it. Uh, he, as I remember my uh, basic psychology, Sigmund Freud, of course, the uh, allegedly great psychologist and founder of psychiatry, essentially, who was sometimes uh, lauded today and sometimes uh, uh, not. He always thought that there was an id, an ego, and a superego. When you're a little baby, you have the id, which, which is sort of Latin, more or less, for, for I. And uh, it's all me. And interestingly enough, looking around at society, one wonders how far most people get beyond the id today, because we're told from birth that we are wonderful, and we are uh, sort of breeding a, a, perhaps a, a generation of very frustrated and depressed adults who will all be on the couch. Maybe that's the idea. I don't know. But in any case, the id uh, seems to be dominant in many cases. Then there's the ego, where people sort of realize, well, there's you know somebody else. And then the superego, which which kind of is maybe getting toward what we're talking about, uh, the sense of the other, that we're all on this together. That's very simplistic, but that's the basic idea. So superconsciousness in the, t- in the way we use it means essentially not that, but... But the superconscious in the sense of uh, our consciousness spread out in a great wave across the multiverse, living many different lives and really being united with everyone else. It's really quite a spiritual concept as well. And uh, I think that might be what uh, what you're referring to there, Jenny. Okay. 
All right, getting uh, away from philosophy for just a minute. Sites of disasters. This is from Lauren. Nobody wants me to use their full name. Lauren M. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the great WISY down there uh, listens to us on CBS, I guess. Uh, hey there, Paul and Ben. It is great to listen to somebody with your experience. Well, t- I'll tell you, Lauren, the more you do this, the more you realize you don't know. So many tragedies have happened in recent days. Does this mean that places where there have been all these shootings will be more haunted? Did you ever do an investigation at a site of a disaster or tragedy? Well, yes, I have. That's the short answer, Lauren. Uh, I'll answer your, your, your last question first. I um, investigated the site of the Mohawk Flight 405 crash in 1974. Uh, it, what happened was it, was it was not a full-size airliner, but it was a pretty good-sized commuter plane, and it crashed into a house in Albany, New York, and 17 people were killed, including one person on the ground. There had been reports of from the neighbors of knocking on their doors at all hours of the day and night, and they would open the door and no one would be there. The, uh, the issue there was, um, was this related to the crash or not? And I will say this, uh, there were, and this began with the crash of Flight 401, uh, it was an L-1011 and went down in 1972 in Florida. Before this, there had been a custom by the airlines to, to reuse usable parts from crashed planes in planes that were functional. And people would begin, people being the crew in the plane, and sometimes even the passengers, would start to have weird experiences on these functional planes. They would begin to see, there were reports even, particularly after the Eastern Airlines flight, because Eastern did that, that was flight 401 in 1972, they would report seeing members of the crew who had been killed in the crash. Uh, they reported seeing uh, other, other people, passengers apparently, who had been, uh, who weren't on the airplane but had been on the flight in which the plane crashed. And of course, you wonder, well, how do you explain this? Well, you explain that really, because that gets to our conscious, back to our consciousness question. I take it we have a caller. Okay. Uh, hello. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello. 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 Yeah. Hi. Yeah, I was going to answer the uh, the question you had asked. Okay. Uh, would it be uh, Kinderhook in Sussex uh, County? Uh, let me just. No, I don't think that that's correct. See, this is one of. Uh, all right, uh, get my papers here. The uh, the answer is uh, no. Actually, no, that's not correct. Uh, okay. You got the right state, but <laughs> I'd try it again. Okay, thank you. Okay, sure. All right. All right. Okay, but uh, the idea of uh, air- airplane parts from crashed planes being reused and creating uh, what apparently were paranormal issues was a question of. Great concern to the airlines, and today I don't. And several years after that, I believe that they they discontinued the practice of reusing these parts. But the question is, well, what was happening here? So that, in a way, gets back to our consciousness question. And there's another question in this pile of emails here that asks about objects being haunted, quote unquote. I think what's happening here is that, as we said, there are consciousness waves. Whatever people together, uh, particularly in a plane and in a, in a terrible life-threatening situation, and, and uh, the great trauma of a crash. I, I just can't imagine how awful that must be. Would be sharing certainly a consciousness that would be based entirely on fear, and uh, great uh, tra- the, the, a great tragedy like that sends out echoes, as it were, across the multiverse, across space-time, across many different worlds. And when we um, 
experience that ourselves, we could be picking that up from what they're experiencing because we're all kind of part of the same consciousness. So an object like that, material though it may be, placed in another, in another plane, might still be echoing with that energy. And I think that's kind of what happens. And because our brains and our, our consciousness, as it were, certainly tie in to that and tie into that experience and tie into that object, that's why we see the people or, or, or have the experience or have the bad dreams or whatever. And I think that, that's really the basis of a, of a, something we can do several shows on which is haunted objects, and why that's occurred. Now, what's their connection with us? Well, we didn't have any. Well, what will we do? Because our consciousness is connected with them. Uh, so that, I think, is why that, that will happen. Uh, to answer the first part of uh, Lauren's question, will these areas, such as Newtown, Connecticut, and, and areas where these terrible tragedies, the theater, and you know where, where that terrible shooting occurred, and it seems uh, almost uh, in bad taste to ask the question, but will it be more haunted? I mean, I... And the idea that, as I just said, these things go echoing across the multiverse and across space-time, and uh, yes, people will pick these things up. Um, I think that's really all there is to it. That's that's essentially how it works in our experience, and and uh, it's not that their spirits will remain at that site. Now, that, that's got nothing to do with it. Uh, it's the trauma of the experience. The consciousness wave remains, that site remains part of the consciousness wave, and the actual individual's when you experience them, if you do, will be the actual people at the actual event, bodies and all, no ghosts, okay? Uh, that's a little rough to get your mind around if you're not used to it, but keep listening to the show. We talk about it all the time. All right, so thank you for writing, uh, Lauren. Okay, here's a, qu- oh, here's a different subject. This has to do with Bigfoot, and it's from Jesse, uh, Jesse Freiberg, okay, we can use his name, in Canton, Ohio, okay? Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. I like your shows on Bigfoot and cryptids. Uh, I'll just make an aside there. Cryptids are, uh, if you heard of cryptozoology, that's where the word comes from. Cryptids are, are unrecorded or un, uncatalogued creatures, such as the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or some of these things that the uh, mainstream science is not sure exist. Um, shows on Bigfoot and cryptids, and I wish you would do more of them. Have you done any monster hunts yourself? Well, that's another yes. Uh, first, I'll answer your question. You know, it's very difficult... Jesse, to find experts on this subject. There, there are lots of self-appointed experts, but people who have actually done serious research who may be biologists or have written books on it, uh, that's a little bit hard to find. We have had the ones we have been able to find on the show already, and uh, perhaps it's time to get some of them back or to try and find some new ones. Have I done any monster hunts myself? Yes. Uh, actually, in 1989, I was in England hunting down the, uh, or attempting to at least find the uh, so-called Beast of Exmoor. And Exmoor is a lovely, it's a national park, actually, in the southwest of England. Uh, I have lots of family around there. That's where, where Ben and I took our trip there in September. We were visiting relatives in, in that county, the county of Devon. And uh, Exmoor is in North Devon. And Dartmoor is in South Devon. You may be familiar with the name of Dartmoor because that's where Sherlock Holmes, uh, supposedly, that's where Sir Arthur Conan Doyle set his Sherlock Holmes story of the um, Hound of the Baskervilles. And, and believe me, when, when you walk over those moors and those those wilderness areas, it really seems like a fitting setting for a hound, the Hound of the Baskervilles. So in 1989, I did. I saw huge tracks. Uh, there were several local farmers who uh, helped uh, with this and uh, was talking to some of the local police and uh, a number of witnesses had seen a large panther-like creature with a very 
which was sort of oddly constructed. It didn't look like a normal panther you'd see, say, in the Amazon or something. It was a black panther. And uh, one farmer I talked to had seen two of them at once. So what I think happened here was uh, nothing too supernatural, really. It was something that, uh, in 1976, the, and this is when these things started to be seen uh, really a lot. Was it 76 or 66? I can't remember. But Parliament passed the Animals Act, which... Uh, forbade people from having any of these strange, weird, or dangerous animals in their possession. And I could just picture some old colonel from the British Army, from when the Britain uh, ruled India, the Raj, as they called it, uh, bringing back from India some uh, panther or something, and, and uh, then having realizing it's illegal now and just releasing it into the wild. Very irresponsible thing to do. But apparently someone did that. And it had, biologically it was interesting because it was uh, apparently interbreeding with some of the local lynxes and things of this kind. So uh, the result is very interesting. The case has really never quite been solved. There have been several television specials on it since I was there. I have not been part of those because I'm not really an expert on the subject. I just went to look for it. Um, anyway, it was an interesting situation, and that was my conclusion. But, of course, that's not very glamorous, so nobody really... <laughs> Makes TV shows about uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, then there was the uh, Mansfield Mystery Cat. Mansfield as in Mansfield, Massachusetts, right in our own listening area here. It was in 1993, and the Massachusetts Environmental Police called me at that time and said uh, they'd heard about what I'd done in England with the Beast of Exmoor, and they said they had one in Mansfield, and oh my goodness, so... Uh, I was limited in my movements at the time because Ben was uh, one year old and, and his brother was was about nine, and I, d- I didn't want to go sit with a possible dangerous animal with the kids in the car. So, but however, I did make some inquiries and uh, went out there when I could, and uh, I did talk to uh, several witnesses, including uh, the fire chief at the time, Ed Sliney, uh, the, the very lo- lovely gentleman who was. Uh, uh, very skeptical about this at first because people would, he'd be one of the, the folks people would call with reports of this, this large brownish cat, like, like, like a cougar, only it looked like a domestic cat, only it was really huge. And, uh, Mr. Sliney told, Chief Sliney told me that he was laughing at it until one day he was leaving his house and he saw the thing himself right across from his own house in a field. So, so much for the skeptic on that one. But that was never entirely resolved. It sort of disappeared. Although I do remember the following year, a report of one uh, did come from Lincoln Woods, uh, which is a state park in Lincoln, Rhode Island, uh, very near here, and supposedly it was the same description. So maybe the cat moved from Rhode Island. Cats don't have to pay taxes, and so maybe he moved to Rhode Island from Massachusetts. I don't know. Uh, we've also been, and I've also checked out uh, Lake Champlain in Vermont, uh, the home of uh, Champ. Uh, we haven't really investigated much uh, there, though, because uh, we, that's not why we were there, but we have checked it out. And uh, Alexander Lake in Connecticut, where we happen to have a cousin who has a lovely house, and uh, that supposedly has its own monster, though we have seen no evidence of that. So I guess that that's a long way of saying yes to your question, Jesse. And we will try to get uh, some more good people on uh, about that, that subject, whether it be the lake monsters or Bigfoot or, or whoever or whatever. Okay, I think I will make an attempt now. We will take our break. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, just Paul tonight, so far, uh, on CB, uh, no, sorry, on WOON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Just Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores. 
as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. Okay, that was quick. Uh, we hope to have our sponsor back next week. Anyway, uh, this is a question from Donnie Hernandez in Salem, Oregon. And it has to do with black helicopters. Okay. Hey, guys, great show. I was wondering about black helicopters, and I have heard you mention them in this Connecticut case. What are these helicopters, and are they used by men in black, or what? Now, for those who don't know about the men in black or the helicopters in black, and I believe we have another caller. Okay. Hello. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello. uh, Are you there? Okay. Hello. All right. Yeah, we're, we're being assisted by the lovely Denise this evening. Uh, uh, I guess we got him? Okay, well, okay, uh, hello, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello, yeah, uh, I'd like to answer the question again. Okay. Uh, would it be Sandy's Stun, New Jersey? No, no, it's uh, not. Yeah. There are a number of reports around there, but but that, that particular time in 2010 was uh, uh, November, November 2010. Oh, 2010. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Thank, okay. You. That's all right. Better luck next time. Third time's yeah. a charm. Okay. Very good. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, let me give you the numbers here, too. Uh, 766-1240 in the local area. And from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240-1240. Okay. Uh, black helicopters. Donnie Hernandez in Salem, Oregon was asking about these. Uh, and... the. Let me give you some background on this for those who don't know. Supposedly, uh, maybe you've heard of the films uh, The Men in Black, okay, and and they supposedly work with aliens and all this stuff. Well, that's based on a pretty well-documented phenomenon that has to do with UFOs. And supposedly, many people who have witnessed major UFO uh, sightings and outbreaks have been plagued, as it were, or bothered or visited, at least, by men in black suits driving black cars, and uh, this this still supposedly goes on today. I'm thinking particularly of the Mothman uh, case in West Virginia and Ohio in the 1960s when uh, the collapse of the bridge seemed to have been the, one of the ultimate uh, um, events of this of this situation and this Mothman figure. The, and again, this is you know, this kind of gives a credibility in a way because you couldn't you couldn't make this stuff up. Uh, a creature with sort of no discernible head and huge wings, like like a giant uh, moth or almost a sort of a angel in reverse kind of thing. Very very scary presence. And although one person said that his life changed for the better when he encountered it, but it would it would fly and follow cars at uh, great speeds and all of a sudden terrorize the the area for uh, months. And the aftermath of this included many visits by people who supposedly were these men in black some of them however were not dressed in black they were dressed in uh, air force uniforms however veterans noticed that they were wearing their insignia in the wrong places or otherwise just were some, had something wrong with them there are a number of fascinating incidents that were related to Ben and I when we were we were down there uh, there were several uh, people we encountered who were uh, witnesses and uh, many of whom had been children at the time of the incident in the mid-60s because we, we were down there in 03 
And they would tell us things like, well, they heard footsteps on their roofs at night, uh, red eyes looking through the window. Uh, really very frightening things going on. But there were lots of other things also, including these men in black. Uh, one reported that, that one had come into their house and had picked up, she remembered him picking up an ashtray and uh, asking if he could keep it. And he didn't seem to know how to shake hands. Or they just, it seemed that the, the human interaction was sort of... Uh, Sort of just not not something he was familiar with, and uh, her father said, "Well, all right, if you want, go ahead and keep the ashtray." And the guy, the guy was elated, and he went out really smart, as if he'd had some kind of valuable antique or whatever. And of course, the the, the, the it begs the question: you know, who were these people, and where or when were they from? That they would be so excited by something like an ashtray, or in one case, a fountain pen, or, or a ballpoint pen, I should say. So I, I don't know. This, this this men in black. That's what this is about. And the black helicopters sometimes will accompany supposedly the visits of these black these men in black, and they literally are black helicopters. Uh, the funny thing about them is, and I certainly direct this as part of the answer to Donnie here. The funny thing about these helicopters is that they will sometimes appear, disappear in plain sight. They will sometimes, there, there, there have been several occasions where a, a, what we would describe as a UFO or a flying saucer, quote unquote, uh, would be going overhead, but it would have the sound of a helicopter. There were other times when a helicopter would go overhead, but it'd be completely silent. And there is technology for that, but it was reported in days when I don't believe there was such technology to completely silence an aircraft engine of that kind. There have been reports of these things uh, involved with cattle mutilations. Now, again, th- those those were events that occurred uh, starting uh, pretty well back into the 50s when farmers would find uh, cattle um, with... Organs removed surgically, a perfect surgical cuts, as, and today we would know it as, as only possible with the use of a laser beam, uh, a laser cutting tool, and uh, certain organs removed, uh, eyes, uh, lips, you know, things, you know, what on earth, who wants these things? And supposedly, uh, once or twice, black helicopters, or I should say lots of times, black helicopters have been seen in the area, but once or twice people have seen people dressed in black clothing coming out of these helicopters and, and you know lifting up the cows and all this stuff but, but that has very rarely been seen and i don't know if any of those reports have ever been confirmed or how you could even confirm it so that's that's what this is all about so uh, the particular cases ben and i have been working on and involve these uh, the main one is is in torrington uh, area in connecticut central connecticut and uh, there is uh, it started with a ghost case in 05 and it, it morphed into, and again, we spend years on cases, and the more you study these things, the more connections you see. You have to connect the dots in the paranormal, which most people don't do, so they really don't know what, what they really don't find any, any real answers. So these black helicopters were involved in this case. They were seen along with UFOs and things of this kind, and uh, we have another caller. Okay, uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Yes, uh, Answer the question about the Bigfoot in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, would that be Hopticon, New Jersey? Uh, no, I know the case you're talking about. That that's not, not the one we're thinking of. Twenty ten. You know, uh, sorry, it's so difficult, but but good yeah. for you for trying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Give it a fourth try if you can find, but it's it's in there. Okay. Thank you. Okay, sir. All right. All right. Okay. So black helicopters um, have even been associated with with Bigfoot at times. So what they're doing and uh, who they are, we really don't know, but they have been seen in this case that uh, morphed, as I say, into a UFO situation with military personnel 
uh, a possible secret base that, that Ben and I were uh, were filming. Actually, we weren't filming. We were with a producer and a director doing a pilot for a TV show, and that film has since uh, become unavailable. We have never been allowed to see it, so I don't know what is really going on, but that involved black helicopters as well. So really, I can't give you any answer about what they are, but they are associated with uh, paranormal phenomena in general, and particularly UFO and cattle mutilation cases. And that's really all I can tell you, Donnie, on that. Okay, here's one from uh, Janet Margolis in Titusville, Florida. And Janet writes, Hi, Paul, hi, Paul and Ben. Uh, Paul, I heard you on the Travel Channel talking about haunted things like s- suits of armor. That's really weird. Uh, they did not give you much time on the show to talk about it, so can you explain it again? Okay. Well, again, this goes back to what we said about consciousness waves. This is this is the email I referred to that was related to the one uh, we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, that show was, uh, um, if I can remember which one it was, um, Curses of New England, I believe. And, of course, one has immortality through reruns, so uh, they'll come on. And somebody will say, oh, I saw you on TV the other day, and you know, one of the shows will, been, will have been rerun uh, forever. So that, that's at least 10 years old, that one. But uh, we were in, uh, I was in Newport uh, showing them through the sort of the, the old uh, cemetery there. And the producer was not entirely pleased with my theories. Of course, she wanted spooky ghosts and this sort of thing. And she wasn't interested in the multiverse and, and uh, parallel worlds and people still being alive in other worlds, and which I think is far more fascinating than the superstitious part of it and far more fascinating than scary ghost tales. And really is, in a way, depending on how you approach it, but much scarier than the campfire stories. But she wasn't entirely pleased with that. Anyway, so that, that's what that was about. So what I was talking about at the time was the, I believe it was the haunted suit of armor at Belcourt Castle in Newport, which is, of course, one of the great mansions, uh, the uh, summer cottages of the rich and famous from days of yore, most of them built in the late 1800s. And this uh, Belcourt Castle, the original owner, was uh, a great uh, collector of many uh, medieval and uh, uh, that that period, essentially, uh, of armor and artwork and things from from Europe. And there's a, there's a one. It's like the place is a wonderful uh, museum, sort of a place if you ever have a chance to tour it. But there are a number of of uh, supposed ghosts in there, including a monk uh, who is seen. And we don't. And this monk apparently is European. Why would he be seen in Newport, Rhode Island? And apparently is associated with with this these objects or one of these objects anyway. And of course, the answer is getting back to our consciousness waves. Uh, this thing was part of him, part of his consciousness wave. Uh, he was part of it. Everything really is kind of conscious. Any Native uh, American will tell you that. There's a spirit that everything has. And that spirit, I think, is consciousness, really. Awareness. And uh, this is a a rather simple explanation. So that's what I was explaining on the television show. And I think it's essentially how it works, uh, Janet. I think that what we've got here is a shared consciousness, shared lives. And we get so confused by it and so frightened by it because we don't see it that way. We see it only as I, me, and myself, you know, uh, an island of consciousness and life and is in a sea of things to which we are not related and to whom we are not related. Well, that's, that's not correct. In any really ancient culture or ancient civilization or, or primal civilization will tell you that. I learned a lot of this, a lot of this stuff from, uh, not from being in the seminary, but from talking to shamans, uh, particularly in Australia and Quebec, who were very well aware of this sort of relationship among beings and things and people, all which form one huge biosphere, as it's called today, of consciousness, and that's how this kind of this stuff kind of works. So as a result, we had a case in Burlville 
Rhode Island, one time not far from here, where the family was cleaning out their their basement, simply moved a table, and as they put it, all Hades broke loose because the, the and they said, "What on earth is this about?" Well, it, you 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 kind of muffled or must up something in someone's consciousness way by moving this, and that's what can happen. And I, I had to have had healthcare professionals. I'm thinking one nurse in particular just walked up to me after a lecture and said, I never believed in this stuff. I never even thought about it. But we moved this thing. We started rearranging furniture in this house we just bought, and, and all this stuff started to happen. What's that about? So that's what it's about. Apparently, it's about consciousness waves. That's our experience anyway. So, uh, again, thank you for uh, writing, Janet. And uh, you're probably having a better weather down there in Florida than we are. Uh, this is from Jim A. in Auburn, Massachusetts. Uh, and he titles this Parasites and Newtown. Uh, Hi, guys. Your recent show on the nature of evil, as illustrated by the Connecticut school attack, left me fascinated but depressed. I under, uh, let, let me say, Before I continue with this, let me say one thing about that. Uh, we're unable, people have asked why the December 17th show has not been uh is not available for podcast on the behind the paranormal.com website well the fact is we can't find it the producer knows that that, that he did it and uh, he's as mystified as the rest of us it just seems to have disappeared we will continue to search for it and we don't like to have a famous you know lost episodes but this apparently was one of them and i was struck by the the uh subject of the show which was the nature of evil and it was the we the the Monday after this terrible event occurred in Connecticut. So I, I don't know, maybe it's just one of those things, but that, that, you know, in five years on the air, we're in our sixth season now, uh, all, all, all things considered, uh, that has, has only happened once and we knew what happened to it. It was just a technical problem. But in any case, uh, I'll continue with Jim's letter. Uh, I understand your point that people are responsible for their own actions and the state of society, uh, but that parasites can exploit that. And I think we have another caller. Okay. Hi, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello. Uh, I would answer the question again. Uh, okay. Um, You're a persistent guy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. How about Medford? Absolutely right. Oh, right. You got totally it. got it. Okay. <laughs> Four times, but hey, that's great. I know people who didn't take, who took more times than that to pass the bar exam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. If uh, the lovely Denise, our producer this evening, will take your, uh, if you stay on the line, she'll take your name and uh, address and phone number, okay. and we'll get you your book. All right, thank you. Okay, very good. Okay, right. congratulations on There's that. There's an interesting question, by the way. Oh yes, yeah. Well, yeah. well we um, we try to uh, try to please. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you. Good luck. Okay, and uh, here we have also uh, just continuing with uh, Jim's letter from Auburn, Mass. Uh, you often talk about people and families controlling the influence of parasites in their own lives. Do you see any way that we, as a society or a species, can limit uh, their influence before we? destroy ourselves okay well that's a very apt question jim and actually again a little background is required for those who may not be familiar with this terminology we uh i well in the late 1970s i started uh wondering about the demon thing now of course having been in the seminary for many years uh, i was never ordained because they they didn't like my paranormal research uh, but nevertheless, I, I got most of the coursework done and, and pastoral work and, and field work and all that. And I began to come to the conclusion that this business about demons and the theological baggage that it carries really wasn't quite good enough to explain the negative entities that seem to be 
present in a number of the cases I was investigating with other people, usually, or, or not always, but uh, with Ed Lorraine Warren, the uh, people who were the sort of the grandfather and grandmother of modern ghost hunting, as it's called, or working on my own or with other people, other seminary students. And we found that, that the, these, these seemed to be living things, not, not necessarily spirits, and I often talk about the Bridgeport, Connecticut case of 1974 in which I had a physical altercation with one of these things. And I actually felt a, a bodily structure and a bone structure w- when it pushed again. I was trying to protect a little girl who was seemed to be the center of a poltergeist attack. And uh, that, that was uh, the res- that this sort of conflict was one of the things that occurred in three days in this in this rather upsetting house. So what happened there was that um, I started to realize this, this, there's got to be a better explanation for most of this stuff. So hence the theory of the parasites came about. I don't know if I'm the one who originated that because one does hear about it today uh, frequently. I don't know. I mean, other people must have come to the conclusion too. I may have been the first one to apply it to cases I was investigating, but uh, be that as it may, that's what he's referring to, or I should say, uh, yeah, what Jim is referring to in his note about parasites. Uh, and we have speculated on the show, we've seen, Ben and I certainly have seen what these parasites can do to individuals or to families. Uh, what they do is they seem to, and they are, of course, the, the basis of the legends of, of demons and servants of Satan and all this stuff that, that is part of our uh, theological beliefs, but I don't think, again, that quite does it. They seem to be living things that need to feed upon energy, uh, and that's how they, they eat. And again, when you look at the nature of life, it is everywhere, it is everyone, it is all across the multiverse. It does seem to be, as Sir Fred Hoyle, the great astrophysicist, said, life seems to be the rule, not the exception in the universe. Uh, it always, uh, as we might say, uh, finds a method to survive and to prosper. So these uh, are just uh, life forms that seem to live between and among these parallel realities that are speculated about in quantum physics and that we base our theories on. So as a result, uh, they can be around and uh, they usually are not very, very some, some species are not very uh, dramatic and you don't know they're there. But, you know, whenever there's a bad situation, I mean, there, there could be some of these things that are attracted by sort of the, the dinner bell of a great uh, uh, tragedy or disaster or, or uh, anger or fear, whatever. And um, I've seen this firsthand. So that, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about parasites. So what, what, I, what Jim's question is getting at here is what is the effect these things might have, not in families or with individuals, but on the level of nations or societies or uh, even communities? And we have, if you look back through ancient history, and I researched this for my last book, uh, which is not the one that, uh, our friend won this evening, but uh, turning home God, Ghost, and Human Destiny. Again, sort of the history of human uh, spirituality and and the history of the paranormal. And it seems that we, at first, worshipped one God, our remotest ancestors. And that, that's a funny thing for most people to hear, but in the 1930s it started to become clear. And, and not all anthropologists accept this today. Many don't. Uh, but there seemed to be great evidence from the Sumerian Empire, which was the first known empire, uh, in the Middle East, that they worshipped really one God in almost a Trinitarian form. There was, uh, and, and this is what shamans told me as well uh, in traditions from like the Australian Aborigines that go back 
tens of thousands of years unbroken, uh, or the, uh, the the Cree of Quebec or, or other other uh, tribes uh, here and there in the world, there was always a, a notion of sort of a single deity with a wife or a husband, you know, a, a couple almost, two halves of the, the same coin, and a child, almost like today the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that most Christians would, would recognize. And as a result, th- this seemed to be uh, something that really struck me. Uh, this theme has run down from uh, from ancient times, but something happened roundabout, well, who knows exactly when it was, but all these, where did all these funny little gods come from? Because the Sumerians were worshipping apparently this this one or, or very few deities, and all of a sudden they had upwards of 5,000 gods, demigods, and whatever, and maybe just the clergy at the time, which tends to get institutionalized and ensconced in power, maybe they made it up to expand their power, that's always possible. But maybe something else happened, maybe some of these <coughs> parasitical entities, whom uh, you really cannot deny, use religion to further their ends, to push buttons and to get people all upset. And, and, and I mean, look, look at the stuff that's going on in the world of terrorism today. Half of that's, half of that's based on religion, supposedly. And uh, these things that makes you wonder, are parasites behind it? Because that's how they eat. What kind of sustenance can they get from a family that's, that's disheveled and dysfunctional and messed up? Think what they could get on a battlefield. Or, or some other, or, or at the site of some tragedy. And of course, you don't want to get into the science fiction here, but these are things that really do kind of come up. So, uh, what can we do? What we do with people in the family situation is to encourage them simply to come together, to stand shoulder to shoulder, to rediscover their love for each other, and to tell each other that, that they love each other, not to wait. This has amazing strength. We've seen this, uh, in, in case after case. Because the positive energy seems to repel these things rather than attract them. And we have another caller. Hello. Well, oh, I'm going to push the thing. Thank you. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Oops. Oh, hit the wrong one. Okay. We'll get you. There we go. All right. Um, are you on? Hello? Okay. We'll, we're going to try something else here. But in the meantime, uh, the, these, uh, these parasites seem to be a real challenge. Uh, and when... I don't know. When there was a certain dishevelment in society, um, okay, here we are. Oh, I think we've got a, okay. Just uh, lost a caller there. Sorry about that. Welcome to call back. Oh, calling back, I guess. I feel like a telephone operator here. All right. Hello. Uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello? No, still, okay. Well, I'm just going to continue with this until we get this straightened out. Uh, in any case, uh, <clears throat> what can we do? I think the answer is to come together. That seems like a very remote possibility in many countries right now, particularly America. But we've, you know, in a way, we've gone through this before, and we've always come out of it. You've got to take a positive kind of a spin on this. Uh, do we have the caller? No, we don't. Okay, uh, please call back. We're we're just a little disheveled tonight because uh, um, it's one of those nights. Okay, we'll try it again. Hello, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hello, I guess the line was haunted. Yeah, you know, that, that can happen. A lot of strange things happen on this show that way. I guess so. Well, um, I'm the same caller. Um, I had a question um, regarding Cumberland, the Cumberland Abbott Valley Road area. Yes, okay. As far as um, I heard there were Indians that lived there, and I have a relative that had an issue with, with that area, and I was drawn to a room in her home. Okay. 
believe it or not. And, yeah, um, no, that's normal human response. And they, they claim that that spirit went out the window using sage. But I'm wondering what Indian lived on that property. Well, from, from Cumberland. Okay, uh, as far that's my as question. okay, well, I have written a book on state history, but I'm a little rusty on some of my native lore. Um, yeah, well, we went there for Christmas and nothing happened. But uh, well, that's good on Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the the basic understanding I have of the, the natives in this area was this area: uh, Cumberland, Woonsocket, Lincoln, and you know, even Smithfield and Attleboro and the all, Abbott Valley Road area. Yeah, which is uh, which actually used to be part of Attleboro, I believe, that part of Cumberland. Oh. Um, there were sort of the borderlands between the Narragansetts and the Wampanoags, okay? And the Narragansetts were very powerful. They were sort of the big cheeses in the native world in southern New England here, at least southeastern New England. And uh, they didn't always get along with the Wampanoags. And so there were uh, skirmishes and a few uh, disagreements that occurred in this vicinity. Now, as far as what native lived where I, I don't know i know that there have been uh we had reports from cumberland we have not investigated this personally uh that that were i don't recall if it was in the abbott run valley road area but it was sort of the nate whipple highway abbott run valley area which because those roads intersect the, the area right. yeah uh that there were some very unusual occurrences that a, a particular person would walk onto a site that was the site of an archaeological dig and, and those those are kept Secret. I know of several, but but uh, I, I you know cannot reveal those. Why secret? <laughs> well, because they don't want they don't want uh, souvenir hunters yeah. going in and digging the no. place up. I, I, I'm you know I'm I'm just telling you what I heard. Of. Sure. Oh no no that, that's uh, we, we've heard the same thing. Drawn to that area of that home. Yeah. Well, there could be a number of reasons for that, and not necessarily natives, but uh, again, you know, very often when we're drawn to a particular in a, place, in a good way. Oh yeah yeah in a good way. When we're drawn to a particular place, we have a connection with that place in some parallel life. Uh, the, the, the famous case I always talk about on the show was the one in Maine where the young girl was a student at UConn in Stores, Connecticut, University of Connecticut, and was traveling in Maine with some friends and her sister and uh, came upon a house that she knew, she said, was her house. Never been there oh, before. No. And she uh, ran up to the door. And when the people answered the door, they screamed, when, or at least the woman screamed when, they, when she saw her because she said, you haunt this house. Oh, <laughs> and so I mean, you you, you got there. There are many levels to this kind of thing. So and there, um, there was a cat in there, in that room, a, a nice cat that was older, you know. Yeah. It was just a wonderful feeling I had about that room. And oh, that, that's great. Well, you 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 in some and this is really weird the way we approach this, but in some parallel life you're living. Uh, and we're all living all these parallel lives, and it's all part of us. And I think spiritual growth is discovering oh, I, that. I do believe that. Yeah. Okay. And, well, that makes it easier because you, you're in that house. You're already living this life. Just as this young girl came to the conclusion, uh, or we helped her do it, that, that that she was living house in a parallel life. That's why they saw her in there. And she was aware of kind of being watched. And they, they, she would have dreams of being in the house, and they would see her doing the things she was dreaming about. Only the odd thing was that in this house she believed she was the mother of a family and that she had children uh, there, and, and they weren't, of course, present in the the, the waking experience well, she had when she met story. the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's just, uh, it, and I, I I couldn't really account for that at the time. This is 1979, and or 78, I should say. And, I'm, uh, I'm talking recent. 
Oh no, no, I'm talking about this case in Maine. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. But uh, no, I, over the years I've heard because I was once a member of the Cumberland Historic District Commission, and stories like this would would, so would kind of cross our desk. The Wampanoag, Narragansett. The Wampanoags and the Narragansett was kind of the borderlands. They didn't have borders like we had borders, but they would. Yeah, you know, there were sometimes disputes over hunting and fishing, and sometimes they got along, and sometimes they didn't. So, in other words, there was a lot of human activity in the area by the natives that might have sent out echoes, as it were to anybody who's sensitive enough to pick it up. Today. And I happen to like like that home and that, that room. Yeah, okay. Well, that, that could be completely unconnected with any Native things. Right. You know? But uh, it's just, uh, you know, and we find those things. You know what I do tell people, though, is it's good when you're, you're attracted to a place like that, but when you have a bad feeling about something, particularly when you're going to buy a house, yeah, you know, don't ignore negative. it. Follow yeah, your instincts. Right. Well, thank you for answering my question. Oh, certainly. We'll call anytime. Nice to uh, talk to you. Pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. And uh, how many minutes left do we have there? Okay, four minutes. Okay, so I have time for one more question here. And uh, I guess I could just finish with Jim. Jim's question. And the issue is, uh, do uh, we as a society have a way to limit the influence, if, if that's what it is, of these entities that try to push our buttons and get us upset and not getting along with each other and all this sort of thing. And the, I would say it's just a matter of trying to come together. That's easy to say, but you do that by kind of coming out of yourself, by realizing that, the whole, as Dr. Amit Gatswami says, the, the great physicist slash mystic, says that the sense of self is an illusion. It's a sense of self-reference. It doesn't mean the individual doesn't exist, but it means that it is super conscious. It is part of the greater whole that we must realize. And when we start to realize that it's not about us, that it's about, I should say that it's not about me or, or that sort of thing, it's about us together, that's when things will start to come together. I think it's inevitable. Uh, the problem is that we are, as I say, we have become a society of narcissists. You know, it's all about us. This is the people who walk in front of you when you're driving down the street, don't even look, because it's all about them, you know? But it's not all about them. It's all about all of us. And, and that, I think, is the way to come together. So that would be my answer to your question, Jim, because I think that uh, it, it's really quite simple, but uh, sometimes a little more difficult to do. Okay. So we are ready to close down the show for today, I'm afraid. Uh, ben did not come, and I'm afraid that he will be uh, attending school in Boston. He is a junior at Emerson College now, and he will be uh, with us normally on our Sunday show. Uh, but on the Monday show, uh, that will, will be a problem from time to time. But we will do our best uh, to get things done. Okay, so uh, we will, uh, we again, we uh, bring your attention to BehindTheParanormal.com uh, with our 450 free podcasts of our shows. And many thanks to our producer, uh, Denise herself, who saved my neck tonight, I think, because uh, we did expect him to be here. And next week, January 21st, we, uh, we have author and researcher John Rahner on the subject of angels. On our CBS uh, radio edition on January 20th, Sunday, we ha uh, we'll have my, uh, we'll have, um, a discussion of phantom places that I've encountered over my, uh, paranormal career here. And we leave you this evening with a thought from that dear old leprechaun, George Bernard Shaw. All my life, affection has been showered upon me, and every step forward I have made has been taken in spite of it. Okay. And uh, congratulations to our winner tonight, whose name I still don't know. Uh, the answer was Medford, New Jersey. Andy. Oh, okay. I wonder if he's related to the person who won the contest last week. This is getting to be a monopoly. So thanks for sailing with us on our great cosmic journey. We will see you next time.
Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.